You're listening to the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey, a leading multi-platform audio content and entertainment company. Listen on the Odyssey app. For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolio. Does the world need a major empathy upgrade? Minter Dial believes so. The highly acclaimed speaker and award-winning author says that though empathy can be perceived as weakness, it just may be the biggest untapped lever for productivity, customer loyalty, and long-term profitability. But here's where things get especially interesting. In Minter's latest book, Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence, Minter argues that injecting empathy into a machine can also be a game changer for business especially with customer-facing communications. And in seeking to reproduce our brain, he writes, AI will affect our behaviors, emotions, attention, and more. Are you ready for empathic machines? Minter joins me to discuss why the world needs to invest in and cultivate empathy and the role artificial empathy can play in overcoming the threats in business and in society at large. Minter, welcome back to the podcast. Ken, many thanks for having me back. I'm particularly excited to talk about this right now. Terrific. So you argue that society needs an empathy upgrade. What possibly could you lead you to that conclusion? Well, let's start with statistics. Uh, There's plenty of statistics uh, that show that, for example, students self-declare themselves as being less empathic than their peers 30 years before. There's details that show that post-pandemic, which is when the second edition came out, while there had been some kind of surge and interest in 300 books written with the topic of empathy in their title in the last few years, we've come back to a situation where people aren't prepared to spend the time and don't quite feel the need, I suppose, to feel empathic, largely because of the stress of performance and the challenge of the business environment. And while that's not a good excuse, it is what has caused a lot of business leaders to forget to and undo the type of empathy that they have been practicing during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Is there a specific demographic that's feeling this lack of empathy, especially? Well, the, the, the data are as to who is not feeling the empathy is, I don't have that anyway. But what I can say is that, generally speaking, it's not going to be the wealthy uh, leaders mm-hmm. of organizations. Right. They are the ones who normally are have to, having to provide it. And I would add that they feel under tremendous pressure these days. And it might even be smart if you are an underling feeling that your boss is being unempathic all the same to model empathy back and and feel the stress of your boss and understand their situation. Because empathy actually isn't just about being nice. It's just about understanding one another. And and to think that I deserve everyone to be empathic with me, I think is not the right way to approach things. So what are the qualities of empathy and can you strengthen it over time? So there is in the empathic circle, uh, can many different variations on this. Of course, if you're not uh, an empathy uh, academic, you might have a very different understanding of what empathy is. Mm. But let's say within the empathy circles, uh, there are a number of different ways that people break down empathy. There's the one school that says that empathy can be cognitive and um, effective. 
we have emotional cues. There's some that say you can't distinguish between those two, that it must be together to be real empathy. And then there are some that have five different levels of empathy. I'm of the first school where there can be both cognitive and or affective empathy. A cognitive empathy, as I feel it, is my ability to understand what you can are thinking, feeling, and experiencing. I understand that you're curious about this particular explanation. I, I, I see that you're in your home, in a beautiful place, and you are in your context. So this is my cognitive understanding. And why it's important in business, in my opinion, is it's much easier to teach, to your question, cognitive empathy than it is to teach affective empathy. If you're trying to teach someone to be emotional, well, smack them and they'll cry, you know? <laughs> Why? It's, it's just such a, it's a much harder concept. And it, and it takes different types of data. In a cognitive world, I can collect data. I can ask questions. Affective, it relies on your sensibility. And in a business world, it's much easier to identify more the cognitive side of things. And it's no less powerful, in my opinion. When I see that you're sad, at least I understand you're sad. I don't feel your sadness, but I understand that you are sad. And when it comes to encoding in an AI, of course, trying to teach a machine to feel is impossible. I would almost argue, but a little cynically, it's impossible to teach people to feel if they don't feel. Mm -hmm. Good point. And we'll get into that a little more in a minute. Um, in your book, you suggest that business, in this quote, empathy may be the biggest untapped lever for productivity, customer fidelity, and long-term profitability. So can you just uh, elaborate a bit on that sentiment? So there are many ways to be more productive, right? You know, lower costs, uh, raise prices, <laughs> fire people, and, and make everyone else work harder. The fact is that empathy has, for many decades, been some sort of silent idea, a soft skill that poo-pooed by most bosses. In the Business Solver survey from 2023 that came out in the month of April, it said that 77% of CEOs felt that they would, be, they would lose respect if they were too empathic. Why is that? Well, it doesn't, the, the, the study doesn't prove that element, mm -hmm. but the, the general gist of it is, A, probably a misconception as to what is empathy and the correlation of, well, if I give my time to listen to them, I am submitting myself, I'm subordinating, subordinating myself to listen to them, my lowly employee, you know, and I don't need to. Look how successful I have been. I've never been empathic, and I, I'm now CEO. So why do I need to change? So there's very little incentive, and, and there's also surveys or studies that show that typically tall, successful, i.e. rich CEOs are empathically challenged. So this, this idea of, of losing respect is probably also associated with the idea that, oh, being empathic is just about being nice which is actually what sympathetic means. And an empathetic or empathic is, I think, misunderstood as being the action that you must take having understood. I like to separate out that empathy really is all about gaining that understanding, the data of, or the feelings of the other when it's effective. And then now I have this understanding of the situation of the person in front of me. All right, now what am I going to do? 
Am I going to reach out and, and put my arm around your shoulder? Am I going to say, hey, buddy, can you can do it. I know you can, because that is actually the boost that you need. Or I'm going to give you five pounds or five dollars because, you know, I, I think I think you need to be I need to be generous with you or or maybe I just need to sit and listen to you. And so those are the actions that follow empathy. And in, in, in all those cases, it's not necessarily about being nice. It's about finding the corresponding appropriate action. And sometimes, by the way, you can use empathy, for example, to give bad news. So the contrary of being nice, but the way you say it allows for the news to land better. So despite the fact that, as you said, CEOs are empathically challenged, how do you create uh, or cultivate empathy internally? And what are, what are some of the challenges and, of course, the benefits of doing so? I've been a big believer, as my experience has shown me, of leading from the top. And if the top don't do it, it's unlikely the bottom will get it. So even if you're in the middle of the ranks, depending on, on where you are, because if you're in such a large organization that the CEO isn't, but you're in your BU in, in Sioux Falls and, and you've got 100 people, then you can do it. But it, it won't probably change the culture unless you create such an amazing result, which I think you will do, that it actually says, oh, we should see what they're doing down in Sioux Falls and then bring that back to our home. Hmm. But in general... It must start from the top. And the key point for me is about making a more empathic culture, not making just an empathic culture straight up. Because at the end of the day, this is not about being perfect. And you can't spend your entire day collecting data and understanding everything. Because sometimes you just got to do stuff. and You have to execute. So the, the notion is make a good solid, self-reflective, self-aware evaluation of how the executive committee is, and particularly with the CEO. Mm -hmm. See where they sit and, and, and let them own this idea. And the, the way I like to do it, because I think it, it's something that speaks to larger executives who are typically empathically challenged, is link it to what their strategic objectives are. So for example, if you're running a big company and well, we, we're, we're challenged because uh, we're not getting enough new clients or we're challenged because, gosh, it's so hard to re recruit and retain new, new uh, employees or, or whatever. Well, then, sir, assuming it's a man, why don't we apply empathy to that specific challenge? It's a little bit of an artifice, but it, what it does do is it, A, corresponds to the business objective and, two, it shows how effective it can be. What's very awkward is when you try to be, uh, let's say, empathic towards the outside, but you're not being empathic on the inside of the company. So that, that's a dissonance that makes employees roll their eyes. Oh, you have to be empathic with the customer, but I'm not going to be empathic with you, the employee. So generally speaking, in the mode of figuring out the strategic imperative and how empathy can help, you need to think it through thoroughly. So, for example, the recruitment. Well, maybe we need to have an environment where we talked about retaining and recruiting. Mm -hmm. So we need to have an environment that helps onboard your new recruits. Well, and then we have to have a particular empathy uh, with the stress that HR professionals are feeling today. Because, by the way, in the same survey that I quoted before on Business Solver, it says that 
uh, fully two-thirds of all HR professionals in the last 12 months have had an episode of depression or anxiety. And this is typically in, in business, the let's say the, the home base of empathy in the HR department, because they typically, hopefully, are in the human department. And, and in this, they're the ones who are expected to understand all the needs of their, of their employees, to be able to identify their mental health issues or whatever it is. And they're being whipped by the CEO who's sort of arm's length with regard to all these issues. You go deal with that. You go fire that person. You, you have to hire more people. Damn it. And the HR people are feeling the brunt of that, being in the middle between the pressure and the stress of the business and the demand, if you will, or the expectation now of so many employees to have a, a place where I can fit in, where I feel safe, where I feel like I will, I'll be fulfilled. In your book, you write that uh, one of the key drivers of empathy is storytelling, which we hear a lot about these days. But what's your message then to brands about tapping into the power of empathy? Storytelling is interesting as a method to understand more. So when you are, um, if you want to learn to be more empathic, the challenge is, well, if you've had a very narrow breadth of experience, you're a certain age, but you haven't moved around. You haven't traveled. You, didn't sp- you don't speak another language. You, you haven't worn the shoes of many other people. It's difficult in this situation to understand how they feel. So you and I are men. We may not be quite as good at understanding women. And barring other <laughs> forms of understanding what that all means. Um, well, if you read uh, Madame Bovary uh, by Flaubert, or you read Anna Karenina, by Tolstoy, in, in this, you will then, because it's beautifully written, and there you, you see the thoughts of these, in particular, two heroines within the books, and, and you, you start to understand the way they're thinking, even though both of them were written by men, that's a caveat, but the idea there is, through storytelling, you understand better other people's experiences, and this is a way for you to, to augment your own empathy. As far as a uh, let's say a ploy within a company, I I wouldn't I think storytelling is a great way to get engagement. It's a great way to express people, um, get motivation uh, out of people, but it's it's not necessarily a way to increase empathy from the people who are listening to you. However, for example, if you start being vulnerable in your storytelling, that will let people be more engaged with you. It doesn't mean they're going to have more empathy with you necessarily, but by being more vulnerable and honest about your story, there's a greater chance they truly are going to understand your situation. Because mm-hmm. if you go in with bravado or you tell a fabricated story, you know, that's not you. A lot of people will like to do stories about other people as a method, which is, you know, is legitimate. But it's not actually, well, depending on how it's delivered, but it's not really about you. I mean, it, you can make it about you, but then why not talk about you and, and be more vulnerable? And, and this is the point of getting to connection. But ultimately, I mean, really what empathy is about is being observant. It's about being able to listen. It's about being present such that I'm not focused on the zit on the end of my nose mm-hmm. or the number that I have to reach for the end of the month. It's just having that openness to listen to the, the feelings and the thoughts that are coming out of the mouth of the person in front of you and engaging that and giving it time and not 
quickly, oh, that makes me feel of a story that I had to tell you, or or breaking or interrupting them because your 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 time is up. This is the challenge in business: is is finding that headspace, the time, the genuine curiosity to want to ask, listen, dig in, find out more. And then don't jump to conclusions. Don't jump to solutions necessarily. Sometimes maybe the best thing you can do is just listen. So being empathic, does that extend beyond, you know, we hear about tapping into consumers' emotions. Is, are they one and the same, or do you feel like being a truly empathic brand is actually beyond that? Well, I would say it is different. So storytelling, tapping into emotions is a marketing idea. (laughs) Where the empathy is applied is in the creation of the story. So our population is a certain type of demographic. We have a certain type of product. What do you think they really want to hear? What do they really want to need or to read or to receive? Are you able to make an email where the title is so amazing that the customer says, oh, my God, I can't wait to open this. This is so exciting. And I can't wait to get the next email. Oh, my God. These guys are great. Right. So that's an emotion. And what you're doing is tapping into that emotion. But you're tapping into it in in a way that they are genuinely happy about it. You're not trying to do it through fear, which absolutely mm-hmm. taps into their emotions, but you're doing it in a way that makes them positively come back to you because the idea of empathy is ultimately to get a better understanding, therefore a positive outcome. And if it's just a win for you and not a win for the customer, I would argue there is a, uh, a deficiency in the, in the equation. Hello, Beyond Profit listeners. If you're looking to light up customer experience and growth with Operations Excellence, then you'll want to reserve your seat to Illuminate by Sella, a new in-person event happening September 26th and 27th at historic Wrigley Field in Chicago. That's right, Wrigley, home of the Cubs. Illuminate by Sella is presented by Sella by Randstad, an award-winning consulting, staffing, and managed solutions company for digital, marketing, and creative teams. Join key industry leaders for two days of dynamic talks, interactive discussion panels, and hot topic workshops spanning the future of work, talent strategies, optimizing agency partnerships, and mastering complexity. Among the many great speakers, you'll hear from Rebecca Messina, a former marketing executive at Uber, Bean Suntory, and the Coca-Cola Company. It's the perfect event for digital, marketing, and creative professionals. To register for Illuminate by Sella, please visit sellainc.com. That's sellainc.com. And now, back to the show. I am speaking today with Minter Dial, author of Artificial Empathy, Putting Heart into Business and Artificial Intelligence. Minter, I'd love you to share a few examples of empathy in action in business. Well, there are many, fortunately. Um, so an example that I was uh, talking about recently with a, a chap who runs a, a large law firm is he had to let go of somebody. And we, in, in the coaching I did with him, 
was we discussed the situation and, and the fallout that would happen for the individual who was being fired and talked through how to make it land better. And uh, so exposing this individual, taking the time to understand better. I didn't know the person who was fired, but he just gave me some data points. And I said, I asked some questions. Oh, I don't know about that. Well, maybe you ought to. Does he have a family? I don't know. How precarious is his life? Oh, I don't know. Well, if you don't know that, you, you're not sure how it's going to land. And it turned out the guy had already another job and it was fine. But the idea of, of exploring and not just delivering and executing without some prep work can be useful. Another example, of course, I like to talk about, <laughs> I used to develop shampoos back in my day. And um, then it, it brings up an interesting point, which is that in empathy, there's the person who emits the empathy so that I am the one who is trying to be empathic with the other person. Then there's the person who's receiving the empathy, who perceives that I'm being empathic or not. And sometimes I can try to be empathic, but you don't perceive it. Sometimes I am being empathic, but you have no recognition of it. Let me give you an example. Oftentimes, I don't know, I'm going to guess you enjoy a shampoo because you got hair. And, um, and when you get in the, in the shower, you, you find that you, you, you're, you've cleaned yourself and then maybe you do your shampoo at the end or at the beginning, whatever. And anyway, you get the shampoo, you pour it out in your hand, and then you have basically a handful of silicon. And it can happen that if you mishandle the bottle or you don't have a perfect grip on it, it slips through your hand because of the silicon in the shampoo. So what about making a bottle that's harder to slip, let slip in your hand? So let's give it some ribs so that when you grab it, it has a little bit more traction, mm -hmm. not as a slippery round conical surface. That is an idea of design using empathy, where you think through the experience of the individual in the shower. Does the person in the shower just can think, oh my God, these guys are so empathic when they made their bottle? No. But there was an, an omission of empathy in the design process. So there, there's an example, and I think it's an important piece because sometimes you emit but don't receive. And at some level, at least when you want to be empathic, think of your intention as the person wanting to bring empathy into the culture. Is it just to make more money or is it some, can it be a bigger value, a bigger purpose that you're trying to achieve? What is your intention behind being more mm -hmm. empathic? I mean, because unfortunately, empathy is used by sociopaths. It's used by all sorts of people who manipulate. It's even used by people who negotiate with hostage takers or whatever. They, they, they use empathy to manipulate. So you use empathy in all sorts of situations, sometimes for good and unfortunately, sometimes for bad. Mm -hmm. So let's switch gears now to what you've coined artificial empathy. So um, tell our listeners why you feel the injection of empathy into artificial intelligence is going to be an area of great interest and intrigue to business in particular. Well, I think everyone has now woken up to the idea that AI is a reality and while not perfect, has the ability for many white collared type jobs to provide valuable services. A lot of people are scared about it. I, I tend to say, well, the way you approach it will determine the success you have with it. So if you're only scared and fearful about it, this is unlikely to turn out particularly well. So in, in, uh, in general, my interest has been in with regard to therapeutic AI. 
I'm very focused on that. Why? Because mental health is an issue. I, I'd rather we fix society and the, the way mental health issues have mm-hmm. come, come up. But in the intervening time, in the lack of any good solution for that, there is a scarcity of human therapists. In country after country, I've read all the research, Canada, United States, UK, France, Australia. And of course, it does depend on certain geographies within the countries. But on balance, there's a scarcity, a dearth of human therapists. So the demand is outstripping supply. So how can we fix that? Well, who at two in the morning is going to receive the call from a suicidal teenager? Not many friends pick up their call. I mean, hopefully their phones are turned off in general because that's not a good way to sleep, right? But if you're a suicidal and you're having a panic attack in the middle of the night, what are your options? So while therapy or at least AI isn't perfect, I'm very interested in the development of therapeutic AI, providing two things. One is the owner has a, an ethical framework and comes from good intentions. And two, has thought through the business model because the business model has a way of corrupting very quickly things. And there are four initiatives that I've been looking at closely where all four are founded by people with genuine intentions. All four have therapeutic backgrounds in different areas like hypnotherapy or CBD, CBT or um, just a general psychologist. And they are all looking at ways to make their therapeutic AI more empathic because really what it's going to take is some ear that has empathy, that starts to understand. And while, of course, for now, it's far from being therapeutic, but the idea is to develop an AI where embedded with empathy that will be able to pick up that phone, if you will, the equivalent thereof, and, and, and at least provide some kind of attention to the individual who's in need and then provide further access to information, maybe another therapist or at least maybe a 999 if need be or whatever it is that the the AI is capable of doing. So that's sort of like a a bigger societal thing. But within business, the opportunity for an empathic AI is huge. I mean, just take all the chatbots, right? So many companies have their now their chatbots or Facebook uh, message center or whatever and, and and or airlines and I mean you just name it they they use these these uh you know it's, it's back to the old your call is important to us we'll be right with you 20 seconds later your call is important to us we'll be right with you and 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 so when you're dividing devising automation processes in embedding or and using AI to do that because that's the quicker way it's the cheaper way you don't have to deal with employees well, it will be useful to embed empathy into the actions that the AI is taking. So it's not exactly the one that's being perceptible, but it is thinking about how the, the words that you come out. Oh, this, hey, uh, I know this data on Ken. He's, he's someone who likes things very succinct, and uh, he's a great client, he, but he, he's, he relies on us to be quick and succinct. Uh, then there's, not to be too sort of pejorative, but there's a maybe a person who's retired and and has lots of time on their hands. And they they just like to talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, maybe let the AI, because it doesn't actually have an impatience factor like us humans do. Let the AI be more, oh, well, that's really interesting. Oh, I, I wasn't expecting that. So your day is going very well, too. Oh, lovely. Where are you? Oh, you, 
you're in Massachusetts. Oh, love, that's really, I love Massachusetts. Where do you do it? No. So if an AI, that would be empathic AI. Ken needs short and sharp and understand that because I got the data that allows me that. So I'm a, if I'm a customer agent, therefore, you can have the AI do it alone or you can have the AI that's pre-programmed to understand empathic solutions that they are uploaded to my screen as the agent dealing with Ken. And there are four options and they're going to be graded, for example, in, in terms of their empathic possibilities. And, and you then as an agent say, well, I'm going to treat, I'm going to click two. So instead of having to type out the entire message, I picked number two because that one has a good amount of empathy and it seems to be pretty effective. And click two, I don't have to type out and worry about my typing and all that. And bingo, Ken gets the message. So this is another example of applied empathy in AI. And, and frankly, this is already happening with certain, let's say, more avant-garde companies. I'm sure you agree, Minter, that for you know a lot of um, folks across the world, they hear AI and their default is you know danger, danger. You know what what's going to come of the human species? Can you just talk about that? That's not what you're talking about here, in being more empath empathic. Firstly, basically, we're all using a whole lot more AI than we think we are. It is it's so embedded in so many parts of our days. Assuming you might have a mobile phone the chances are is there's a lot of AI being used in the applications, whether it's your messaging or your email or such, or Siri or whatever application you might be using, AI is present. So you are using it already. What are you giving up? Well, you're giving up your privacy, but in return, you're getting convenience. You don't have to type out the entire email because Gmail pr prompts you with some smart, uh, more and smarter and smarter if you allow it. So, I think I think the the nature of it is to understand the trade-off where we are getting convenience, speed, and we're giving away some data. And I suppose the the real challenge will be twofold. One is understanding the business model and the ethics of the business that's behind mm -hmm. the AI that you're using, open AI or BARD or whatever. And the second thing to take into consideration is that, Basically, AI is unstoppable. It's going to happen. So your posture should be, it is going to happen. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to work with it, not against it? So whatever your business is, start thinking about how you can onboard it. Take it on as your friend. Um, I play a game called paddle tennis where there's a wall. And the wall is is behind you. And for any tennis player that goes to paddle tennis, they always, oh, they, they hate the wall. They don't want it to be there. Mm -hmm. And yet it's the reason why paddle tennis is great. So you should learn to have the wall be your friend. And then once you get that piece, then all of a sudden the game just becomes sexy and fun. But until then, you're going to have a knife in your teeth and you're going to be constantly on the lookout. And that type of fearful mindset is not going to help you. Depends where you are in your career. Of course, it depends what you're doing. If you're a carpenter, okay, maybe you can, the use of AI might be more in the customer interface and you can do the you know, wood, wood cutting if you wish. But in others, especially in white collar situations, lawyer, even business executives, there's going to be many more opportunities to work with AI. And, and of course, for many, there will also be many who will be taken over or replaced through AI that does 
ridiculously repetitive, uninteresting tasks. And, and why would you want to continue doing that? So you're going to need to shake it up, get ready, uh, prepare, skill yourself up, figure out how you can make it your friend, like the wall in paddle, and then uh, get ready for the next uh, wave because it's going to be exciting. In your research, Minter, have you found that being more empathic is a hallmark of a purpose-led company? I, I haven't found that specific connection. Uh, in other words, I, I see a purpose-led company and I don't see data on their empathy. Mm -hmm. It's a very hard thing to measure. And so it, 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 I would say it's almost like a negotiation as to whether we think it is or not. Where I, I do think there's a link is when you're creating an ethical framework, which isn't the same as purpose-led. But if you are interested in, in creating a long-term business that has some kind of strong ethical backbone, it is incumbent upon the team that's working on that ethical framework to inject empathy into their work. For example, have diversity of, of opinions in that group. So if you just have a bunch of white guys who have been to the same university and, and your employees come from a different sociodemographic background or your customers and or your customers, it's probably useful when you create that ethical framework to have a more diverse group of people that allow you to have a better understanding of what's needed in the ethical framework. Mm -hmm. So that's within that. Purpose-led, The let's say that there's a lot of purpose washing and it's maybe hard to have when you view a company, especially from the outside, to a good knowledge of to what extent that purpose is genuinely understood. I mean, if, if someone said to you, Goldman Sachs has a really interesting purpose. Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe <laughs> doubtful, you know, I mean, frankly, banks, insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, I mean, they all come from a need that was purposeful for the, for insurance. It was about being able to take risky adventures, but the insurance companies, the way that they're done today are, are far from that. They are, they let the, the, the money at all rule them far more in short term profits. And so a lot of companies, even if they have a purpose, um, probably don't live up to that purpose particularly well. Mm -hmm. And uh, even if you have empathy, it may be difficult to make that purpose come alive. Lastly, Minter, and you might have touched on this a bit a few minutes ago, but you argue that machines will never fully replicate our natural form of empathy. I assume that's a good thing for the world? Well, uh, Ken, um, what I would say is that it is highly likely that there will be many situations where AI will be more empathic than humans. We as a society have shown that we are quite incompetent when it comes to being empathic. We get focused on me. We get focused on my problems. We get focused on my little society. And, and this is not a way of being empathic. You're not really worried or thinking about the others. You're just so centric to you. And so an AI, if it's well-programmed, could end up being a far better listener, a far better understander of your situation. Because if you program them correctly, they're not going to be all about me. So that's my table stakes, if you will, for putting it out there. And otherwise, as far as their ability, the ability of AI to completely replicate us, absolutely not. For starters, they don't feel the emotions. And those feelings of emotions that we have kind of cause us to be crazy to do silly things, but also moments of brilliance, um, unexpected, uh, eccentric things. 
and and part of our journey is is the discovery of strangeness and 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 uh, and the enjoyment of the quirkiness and the so weirdness is a little bit less rational. You can try to program chaos. You can try to program weirdness. But I think the human emotional way of being more quirky, intuitive will remain. There's no way that it's going to replicate. However, I continue to say that with good intentions, an appropriate business model, AI that is encoded with empathy will, in, in cases, be more empathic than we are. So I think it's a wake-up call for us as human beings to be more empathic. Smell the roses. Get back in touch with nature. Get back in touch with yourself, but not in an egocentric way, but in a way that understands you're aware of your egocentricity, to be able to move your ego away and then focus and be present with the person who's in need in front of you. And it's amazing. I mean, the number of times this has happened can, I, you know, I talk for them. But there's times when I, I sit back and I listen. And at the end, I don't know if this, you've ever had this specific experience, but so I, I listen to this person for 45 minutes. I ask questions and then got up to go. And the guy says, oh, it was so great meeting. You're such a really interesting chap. I haven't said a word. <laughs> Listening connects. Absolutely. Victor Dial, thank you so much for joining me on the Beyond Profit podcast. It's been my pleasure, and hopefully we'll, we'll go beyond profit, Ken. Thank you so much for having me on. To learn more about Minter or to obtain a copy of his latest book and other books, please visit MinterDial.com. That's MinterDial.com. And if you would like to recommend a speaker or a topic for this podcast, please email me at brandpurpose at ana.net. Until next time, thanks for listening. This has been a presentation of the ANA Podcast Network, powered by Odyssey.